I had an interesting weekend of email in response to something I wrote about the Ohio Senate, the official website of the Ohio Senate, ripping into us for trying to determine if our sources of our stories reflect the community we cover. Most people uh, saw this as terrible and wrote to their senators, they told me, to say, stop it. I didn't use the word fascism, but some respondents said, this is the fascist playbook. You attack the media. You try to undermine the media. The most distressing part, and I had predicted this in the column, was there were some people completely agreeing with the Senate, including a guy who wrote and said, diversity is the ruination of our country. That's somebody who wrote to me not anonymously, and it just slapped me in the face. I wondered as I watched the uh, miniseries over the weekend, all the light we cannot see, whether when these folks watch it, they're rooting for the Nazis to win because that's kind of where they are. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi, and Lisa Garvin. It's the day before election. Have you had enough election news? Us too. So let's talk about the future. Cleveland Hopkins International Airport is heading for a massive rebuild and overhaul, but the future of air travel very likely is electric. Layla, what might be different in an airport designed for the next 50 years? Yeah, Susan Glaser tells us that a future in which electric airplanes play a big role in travel is not as far off as some might think. And that means that Cleveland Hopkins is going to need to keep an eye on the trends as it plans its major overhaul, this $2 billion project that's expected to get underway in 2025 and will take probably about a decade to complete. Their plans might need to include electric charging stations for both aircraft and road vehicles and possibly space for aircraft that take off and land vertically. That sounds so crazy and Jetsonian, I guess. So, um, you know, accommodations like that, though, you know, frankly, I'd settle for airport bathrooms with functional faucets, but (laughs) that sounds cool too. Susan says that several electric aircraft firms are making ground on plans to launch their groundbreaking vehicles in the next two to five years. In September, Joby Aviation out of California announced its plans to build its first manufacturing plant in Southwest Ohio at Dayton International Airport. It likely will take years for the company to start mass production, but eventually they say it will they'll produce as many as 500 fully electric air taxis at that site. And all over the country, companies are working on small electric-powered regional jets that would be able to fly as many as 30 passengers on short trips of 250 miles or more. And one industry expert told Susan he doesn't think that all of this is going to come to fruition in his lifetime. He's 65 years old, but probably in his newborn granddaughter's lifetime. Cleveland's airport construction is going to happen in phases. So hopefully that means that they can be nimble with that shifting trend in technology over time. I was surprised, actually, by that comment. The rest of the story is fine, and and it's a mystery. What do you do to prepare for a future you can't see? But for him to think it's going to take till his granddaughter is flying for electric planes to be in effect, I don't see that at all. You're seeing lots of movement in that direction. I bet it's much closer than we think. Yeah, I guess it depends. Like if he if he's thinking 30 years from now would be that that will be a mainstay in air travel, then I could see where he's coming from and saying it's not going to necessarily happen in his lifetime. 
but I imagine this will make piloting way easier because a lot of the challenges of flying planes is the takeoff and the landing. And if you can hit a switch and just go straight up and then go, it's going to make it a lot easier getting in and out of airports. But there, right, right. there's still some downsides, though. The article said that the batteries are extremely heavy, and then the electricity required to charge not only the planes, but all the support vehicles in the airport is, like, immense. So, yeah, there are still some problems that need to be worked out, I think. Yeah, lots to consider. The The airspace you need to be taking off and landing vertically, that's such a change to how, how things are done currently. And yeah, the, the incredible use of energy that these things require. Well, they talked about by 2028 over LA that there could be all these air taxis that did look like the Jetsons. And we've talked about drones. Can we just imagine like looking up the sky and seeing highways overhead? No. <laughs> Meet your Jetson. Now you're all going to have that jingle in your head all day long. <laughs> Susan pointed out in her story, though, that airports are already thinking about this as they're starting their planning for the future. I mean, Pittsburgh is one that, um, you know, their new terminal is set to open in 2025, and they have identified two places there where they could put a vertiport, which is that vertical takeoff and landing area. And in San Diego, they recently launched a study that looks at all aspects of electric aircraft and what it means for land use and privacy concerns and noise and things like that. So this is on everybody's mind in the industry. All right. Good story by Susan Glazer. Looking at the future, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Judges sometimes get into trouble requiring hearings about their fitness, as we've seen in the local cases of Pinky Carr and Angela Stokes. But one of the sets of allegations facing Jaga County Judge Tim Rundell stands out as just horrifying. Laura, if it's true, he used his position to make like hell, not just for a mom, but for her two sons without cause or authority. What is he accused of here? This case of this family is harrowing. These two teenage boys were thrown into juvenile detention detention for a long weekend in May of 2020. That's when... COVID was incredibly scary. They didn't have a lawyer. They weren't allowed to call their mom. And this is all because they refused to go with their dad, who they hadn't seen in years and had accused of abusing them. And honestly, based on court records, and this is all based on court records, wasn't all that interested in in having any sort of custody of them anyway. But uh, Judge Grendel said they had to comply. And the mother dropped off these boys at the Geauga County Sheriff's Office and they refused to go with them. They said, you're going to be thrown into juvenile detention. They called the mom, said, try to get them to go. She did, but the boys refused. And so, yeah, they ended up in isolation for a weekend. And uh, the constable, Grendel's constable, put them in there, said he was just following the orders. It, it's incredibly, it, it seems like an incredible abuse of power. And again, this is all based on the court records right. that come right. from this case. And it's one of the things that he could be sanctioned for by the Supreme Court coming up. Well, it goes even deeper. I mean, the record shows that he had absolutely nothing that he could put them in detention based on. And it was so offensive that after it happened, the sheriff put out a memo saying never again will this happen, that there was no reason for them to be there. There was no justification for their incarceration. So we're never going to do this again, absent something official. 
you don't really see that very often where the jailers say, no way, we're going to do this again. Right, because there was no basis for it at all, and this was unprecedented. And the only thing that put them in there was the judge's order. And this is based from a 2017 divorce. Two kids, the two boys and their sister live with their mother after allegations of their father's abuse, his reluctance to complete a court-ordered anger management therapy and an alcohol assessment. There's and then this is a long court battle. There's all sorts of documentation where he requests custody or you know partial custody and some visitation. At one point, he tried to take it all back. He's like, "It's okay, I don't want the kids." And <laughs> Grendel was like, "Nope, you're going to get your kids." And I really do not understand the motivation here. Like, as well, it looks it looks like he's just mad that he was defied. Look, the the the, the record is filled with court transcripts where he's just bullying the mother. Mm-hmm. The mother's trying to talk and he's shutting her down, basically saying, "Hey, it's my way or the highway. You're going to do this, or I'm going to yank him. You're going to lose custody." Right. Over and over again, it's threatening behavior to a to a mom who's just trying to navigate it. And the day he locks him up, she dropped the kids off as she was ordered. The mm-hmm. kids were t- crying because they did not want to go with dad. Yeah. And so he said, okay, I'm locking you up for three days during COVID. The mom beside herself trying to figure out what's going on. Right. She can't talk to them. She's trying to get a lawyer. They're not allowed to call her. I, I, I can only imagine that he would be absolutely terrified the entire time they're there. They, they've never been in trouble before. There's no charges. And he even tried to get a prosecutor to file charges for him. And the prosecutor was like, no. So then Grindel appointed a private attorney to act as a special prosecutor. This seems to go above and beyond even just feeling like you are affronted in court. I don't get the personal attacks in this case. It, it makes no sense to me. It's horrifying. And I'm glad that the, there's a body that's going to deal with it. There's a bunch of other stuff that he's accused of doing. Mm-hmm. But this alone is enough to say, what is this guy doing as a judge? He's long been a controversial figure. But man, this takes it to the max. Good stuff. Check out Corey's story. It's on Cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. After all those years of Smokey Bear's warnings about preventing forest fires, how can it be that the people running the Cuyahoga Valley National Park are going to set three of them in the coming weeks? Lisa, are we trying to get even with Canada for all that smoke they sent our way over the summer? Well, first of all, the smoke from those fires wouldn't go to Canada. It would go the other (laughs) way, but maybe. Um, Yeah, so these are what are called controlled burns, and this is done in forestry areas pretty regularly. So they're going to start today and they're going to go through November 15th in three specific areas to control invasive vegetation. Of course, it has to be done under the right conditions. The temperature, the humidity, and the wind have to be just right. So they have to wait for good conditions to do this. One of the sites is the old Richfield Coliseum site of 40 acres near 271 in Route 303. That's been taken over by autumn olive shrubs and multiflora rose. And and there's also thatch of dead grasses that they want to burn off that as well to encourage native plant growth and to get ground nesting birds to come like the bobolink and the eastern meadowlark. The second area is 129 acres, the Terra Vista Natural Study Area in Valley View at Canal and Tinkers Creek Roads. That area is inundated with autumn olive. It's so thick that it's nearly impenetrable in some areas. They tried using loppers and grinders, but they found that fireworks much better. And what they want to do is create a savanna type habitat because they noticed that the butterfly population was dropping and they want to, you know, encourage butterflies to come. The last area is called the Barrow Pit. 
It's in the Boston Township off Boston Mills Road. And it's so named because the dirt was removed from that area to build the Ohio Turnpike in decades past. So the problem there is seedling hawthorn trees are taking over and other woody vegetation that's crowding out native wildflowers. So this is what they use. And you've probably seen, if you've ever seen a movie about fire, they use a drip torch and they just kind of, you know, drip the fire along and they created a fire break before they do this. So the fire can't leap out of the uh, tree area. The idea, though, of, of having a massive set of fires does raise questions about air quality. We all had huge air quality issues this year. Is, is part of the season that they're doing this aimed at the time of the year when the air quality is generally pretty good? I would think so. You know, but the, the prevailing wind in the winter around here is from the north and northwest. So, Whoever's so this is going to go to Pennsylvania and we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> okay. It's just, it kind of takes you back when we're intentionally setting fires and, you know, nothing ever came bad from doing that. But there are some plants that actually need fire to germinate the seeds. So fire is kind of a natural part of the habitat, except when it gets out of control. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Here's a fun neighborhood conundrum. Seven Hills wants to put an observation tower in a park because of the incredible vantage points the park offers. Layla, why are a bunch of nearby residents dead set opposed to this idea? And I can kind of see their their perspective. Yeah, I can too. They're worried it would be both a privacy issue and a liability for the city if someone were to fall off the tower. This would be in Calvin Park, which is in the northern part of the city. And apparently it offers spectacular views of downtown and the Cuyahoga Valley. But residents who are opposed to it say that criminals could climb this tower and case the neighborhood. They could easily take stock of who's home, who isn't, their comings and goings, and and where children live. Or worse, the tower could enable a mass shooting by providing a perfect vantage point. And the city says that they gave the public a lot of time for input on this this plan, which has been, the tower has been a part of the park's master plan for several years, they say. And the city passed a levy three years ago to update all of the amenities, including adding several projects at Calvin Park. The park has been updated to include a splash pad and new playground, concession stand and restrooms were renovated and the parking lot was resurfaced. But the tower is not scheduled for final site planning or bidding until next spring. So there is still time to take into account what residents have to say about this and potentially change the plan. Look, we all, I think, love a good vantage point. There's a place in Lakeview Cemetery where you stand on the edge of a ridge and you can see all the way to the lake and all kinds of cool stuff. But you, you would be a little bit unnerved by having a big tower looking down on your street and backyards and everybody that's coming and going. I, I kind of feel for them like, yeah, this would be the perfect way to case the place to figure out where I want to break in. Yeah, and it's creepy. I mean, uh, you know, what's the point of having fences and privacy and hedges <laughs> to to you know keep keep uh, prying eyes out when someone could just be looking down upon you from above? Yeah, I I kind of it sounds like it's close enough to present a pretty serious security threat to these folks. It'll be interesting to see how they end up resolving it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Okay, as tomorrow is election day, after all, let's do one last election story. If the abortion issue on the ballot is about women's health, as so many doctors and women say it is, why are the Ohio State Medical Association, the Ohio Hospital Association, and the Ohio Nurses Association silent on it? Lisa. 
Well, I think, and and they're not saying much about why they haven't taken a stand on issue one, but but a spokesman for one of the groups said, well, you know, we have members that are on, are on both sides of this issue, so we didn't want to, you know, discount one viewpoint or another. So the Ohio State Medical Association has 15,000 physician members. The Ohio Hospital Association is 248 hospitals and 15 large health systems. And the Ohio Nurses Association with 180,000 registered nurses in their membership. Um, Also that are mum on issue one, but came out against issue two, the marijuana uh, uh, ballot measure, was the Ohio Children's Hospital Association, which has really been at the forefront of the anti-marijuana movement, and the Association of Ohio Health Commissioners. So they are also mum on issue one. Uh, Hospital Association spokesman John Palmer, as I said, we have members on both sides. And, you know, he said... Sometimes, you know, you fear public scorn and cancellation in a politically charged environment. Robert Alexander, who's the Ohio Northern University political science professor, says in this political environment, you can't even talk about Goya beans without offending somebody. He does have a point there. But supporting issue one, the American College of uh, Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Ohio, that's 1,500 members, the Ohio Academy of Family Physicians, 5,000 members, the American Academy of Pediatrics, Ohio. 3,000 members. The Academy of Medicine for Cleveland and North Ohio is 6,000 members. These people have all come down in support of issue one. The part of the story that's sad, but it's in keeping with what I said at the top of the podcast, is there. there's some fear that if they came out and took a position that was contrary to what the elected Republican leaders of the state want, they'd be penalized and that they have a lot of stuff They'd like to get passed or get rejected in the legislature. And they fear that them stating their opinion, as anyone is free to do in this country, result in retribution. And sadly, I think they're right. This is not a legislature that acts on what's the best interest of the people. Look at look at the threats Larry Householder made. If you work against me, I'm killing your bill. He did it to Greenspan, one of the guys who who gave evidence to the feds and refused to to go householders way there was going to be punishment so i get why they're sitting out they 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 need to get things done and we have very vengeful legislators yeah and i think it's it's a pragmatic move on your part just because of what you said we have a republican supermajority a veto proof supermajority not that the government governor would veto anything but um, with regards to abortion. But um, anyway, yeah, so I I, I kind of can't blame them. But, you know, as they said, there are probably some of their membership that are going to vote no. Look, it's the most radioactive of radioactive issues. We didn't endorse in it, not because we feared people would get mad at us, but because we knew we weren't going to move the needle. But not endorsing on it does ease the pain. There, people feel so strongly about this. There's no middle ground. You were either... You see abortion as the killing of babies or you see abortion as a women's health rights issue and and never between should meet. So I get why they're doing it. It's just kind of sad. That's the state we're in in this Ohio of ours. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Layla, how often does the state of Ohio declare something officially extinct? That's what it did last week. What's the creature that the state has officially decided is no more? And let's face it, it's not statewide elected Democrats just yet. 
Well, the, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service recently declared this Scioto mad tom extinct. This was a fish that was native to Ohio. It's a small. It was a small nocturnal species of catfish that was found in a, in a small section of Big Darby Creek, a tributary of the Scioto River. And its last known sighting was in 1957. And scientists say it's gone. So it's been officially removed from the endangered species list. It was among the first species added to Ohio's endangered species list in 1974 and received federal protection a year later. The mad tom was endemic to Ohio, which means that it wasn't found in other states at all. This fish used to hide during the day under rocks or in vegetation, and it would come out after dark to forage along the bottom of the stream Scientists believe that it it met its demise because of industrial pollution and agricultural runoff and and other factors that modified its habitat. What was strange is seeing that it was added to the list almost 30 years after its last sighting. It was extinct before it was even added to the list, probably. Uh, But but to officially declare it gone, that's a that's a sad moment. I know it's really, really depressing. They uh, apparently the. the endangered species list only includes two species that were native to Ohio in that way. Only the Scioto mad tom and the tubercle blossom pearly mussel had once been found in Ohio. Huh. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The fourth marker of Cleveland's new African-American Civil Rights Trail has been unveiled. Lisa, what does it commemorate? Yeah, this marker was unveiled last week at the Greater Abyssinia Baptist Church on East 105th Street. This church was basically the headquarters for the United Freedom Movement to desegregate public schools. The Reverend Dr. E. Theophilus Cavaness led the church and the civil rights movement for 62 years. He's still alive. He was at the unveiling. He says he was ecstatic for what this means to our community and to people still struggling in these difficult and critical times. We're going to get three more markers this year on the African-American Civil Rights Trail, one at Glenville High School, where my dad went to school, one at the Huff Uprising site, and one at the Olivet Institutional Baptist Church. Three more markers will be announced later this year. That will bring the total to 10. The current markers, and including the one that was unveiled last week, there's one at Cory United Methodist Church, the Ludlow Community Association, and uh, one that recognized Carl Stokes. Forgive me if you don't know the answer to this, but was there any public engagement for people to have the chance to nominate sites for this? Do you know? You know, I wanted to know that, you know, because I I feel like my grandfather's house should be on the trail. Um, The Cleveland Restoration Society uh, is is, you know, picking these areas for the markers, but I don't know if there has been any public input. That's a good question. Well, if there hasn't been, maybe we should solicit it because that's why I asked. I wondered about your feelings on your grandfather's house. And I'm, I'm sure that if we put this out there, other people would have some thoughts about things that should be on this trail. Why not make it at a community-wide kind of event with some committee picking and choosing? We'll see. We uh, we ended up losing Laura again for the second time in a week. Huge technical issues. She thought she had them fixed. Sends along her apology. And we are short because of her absence. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks to the missing Laura. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday, Election Day, talking about the news. 